Welcome back to Challenge Radio. Today, we'll be covering the editorial. Niger Coup, Imperialists Mine Their Downfall. On July 26, a group of generals in Niger staged a coup and seized control of the country. Although Niger is no stranger to coups, with five to date, the latest is yet another blow to capitalist rulers, liberal democracy, and to U.S. and French imperialism in the Sahel region of Africa. Niger joins Burkina Faso, Guinea, Mali, Chad, and Sudan among nations in the Sahel region of Africa that have dumped U.S.-friendly stooges like ex-president Mohamed Boazum in favor of military juntas aligned with Russian imperialists. This pivot is a telltale sign that the old U.S.-led liberal world order is imploding. Despite sanctions and threats of war from the spurned imperialists and their allies in the West African bloc, economic community of West African states, the coup leaders are showing no signs of backing down. To this point, threats of intervention have been all bark, no bite. Even so, the region's chaos and volatility, plus the desperation of competing capitalists, could mean that war in Africa is on the horizon. Meanwhile, the Niger generals are rallying thousands of workers behind them in a move to oust the post-colonial French bosses, who maintain four military bases and 2,000 troops in the country. If history is any guide, however, the latest set of misleaders will do nothing to improve the lives of workers in Niger. As in Mali and Burkina Faso, these workers will be forced to renegotiate the terms of their misery and exploitation with Russian imperialists and military gangsters. The only way out of this imperialist hell is a communist revolution. True independence for workers means smashing the deadly capitalist system that breeds imperialism, poverty, and war in the first place. Uranium and Imperialist Atrocities The Sahel, a vast region south of the Sahara Desert, is rich in gold and oil. It has long been in the lethal chokehold of French imperialism beginning with a bloody invasion in 1899. The French army committed unspeakable atrocities, bombing villages and murdering tens of thousands of Nigerians before bringing the country under colonial control in 1922. Although Niger gained its independence in 1960, France reasserted its control eight years later. After the discovery, of uranium in the Saharian city of Agadez. Niger, today, is the world's seventh largest source of exploitable uranium, 
which generates more than 70% of France's energy supply. The French bosses continue to rake in massive profits through Orano, a multinational mining company that is 90% French-owned. To sustain this exploitation, the French bosses have used graft and terror by local security forces to help keep brutal and corrupt politicians in power to do their bidding. Fueled by inter-imperialist rivalry, anti-regime terrorists have gained strength throughout the region. Even after the U.S. spent millions to build a military base and sent 1,500 troops to Nigeria in 2014, the violence has intensified. Now, the chickens have come home to roost, power-grasping monsters like General Abdurul Hamin Chiani, a former United Nations peacekeeper who was trained at a U.S. military academy, is leading a move to steal the French and U.S. turf. Chiani has been emboldened by coup leaders in Mali and Burkina Faso, who declared that any invasion of Niger by ECOWAS troops would be a declaration of war against them as well. The new capitalist rulers in Niger are standing defiant. They have suspended the country's constitution, revoked defense agreements in France, and prevented foreign planes from landing. With the coup now entering its third week, French bosses are desperate to protect their foothold in the region, including the $13 billion Trans-Saharan pipeline designed to send oil through the Mediterranean and break France's dependency on Russian oil. The U.S. bosses, meanwhile, are faced with ceding more ground to China's bosses, who owns two-thirds of Nigeria's oil fields and want to build a 1,200-mile pipeline through Benin to the Atlantic. The Nigeria coup gives China a huge opportunity to expand its imperialist presence. Down with French imperialism. While French bosses rake in billions from Nigeria's mineral riches, 10 million workers and youth live in extreme poverty. They are devastated by famine, pollution, and a lack of drinkable water due to capitalist cause climate change. Thousands are being slaughtered by terrorist groups, aided and abetted by French and U.S. imperialists. When workers flee their homes, they are killed, or enslaved by smugglers, or succumb by the dangerous journey through the Agadez. The French bosses had relied on their puppet Bazoum's efforts to terrorize migrants at Nigeria's borders and stem migration to Europe. After the coup, on the eve of the 63rd year of Nigeria's independence, 30,000 workers took to the streets, shouting, down with France, while waving Russian flags. The French bosses are under siege, within their borders and without. Workers in France 
have sustained an open rebellion against raising the retirement age and to protest racist police brutality. In France's former colonies, from Africa to Haiti, coup d'etat, mass demonstrations, and seizures of fuel depots are the order of the day. But for the international working class, it's not enough to exchange one set of capitalist exploiters for another. We need to take that slogan further to down with capitalism. Workers in Nigeria need progressive labor party, not another coup or democratically elected African misleader who's only looking for a share of imperialist spoils while maintaining the dictatorship of bosses. Russia versus U.S. Proxy War As the Niger coup unfolded, Russian President Vladimir Putin hosted a summit with African leaders in St. Petersburg, hoping to expand Russia's growing influence in West Africa using the mass-murdering mercenary Wagner Group. Russia's bosses are trading its military services in exchange for minerals and other natural resources. They cynically use anti-colonial, anti-Western rhetoric as they exploit and slaughter workers. The old Soviet Union is still viewed favorably by many workers in Africa because of its help in overthrowing their European colonizers. Though Russia's position in West Africa remains tenuous and they are spread thin by the Ukraine war, one thing is clear. Their presence in the region has escalated the stakes of the Niger coup. West Africa has become a flashpoint in the imperialist competition between the U.S. and Russia. Both sides, whether through drone strikes or the Wagner Group, are indiscriminately murdering workers in the region and pushing many into jihadist militias. As long as the working class in Niger is weakened by ethnic divisions and nationalist illusions, they will continue to be the imperialist sacrificial lambs. Even so, these workers' militant protests show that they are hungry for an alternative. That alternative is communist revolution, led by the Progressive Labor Party. From Africa to South Asia, from Latin America to Australia, we are building an anti-racist, anti-sexist, internationalist movement to smash this rotten imperialist system and build a new world run for and by workers. Join us. The men and women on the line Sweating for a dime Their labor stolen from them And they're not paid what it's worth Someday they shall rule the earth 
tillers of all land Bending down in toil Harvesting the soil Working through the cold and heat Growing rice and wheat Someday they shall Welcome to our discussion of the latest editorial and challenge on the coup in Niger. Um, I'm joined by a few comrades to talk about the political takeaways and the situation. Um, I'm joined by one in particular who has a um, great deal of knowledge and expertise in African affairs in general. Um, so I wanted to start just by uh, giving you a chance to talk a little bit about the background, anything that you think people ought to know as they're starting to learn about the situation and um, what it means for the worldwide class struggle. You know, this, the situation in, in Niger is just another hot spot of peerless rivalry heating up, right? I know, you know, in uh, PLP has been said for years that, you know, the world is heading towards, you know, another world war. And I think this is just another flashpoint or, uh, you know, flashpoint of that. Um, you know, I think Africa in recent years, um, as China has, has uh, grown and influenced uh, there, in Russia, you know, apparently a lot of people didn't, didn't see Russia's influence growing there, but it was very slow and more so on the military side. Uh, but Russia's influence has been growing there as well. U.S.'s influence has been declining, right? Even before Trump took office and decided to put any diplomats into, you know, any of the embassies in Africa, U.S. influence in Africa had been declining. And so, you know, this is just another flashpoint of it. Um, you know, the situation in, the, in Niger... Um, I think caught a lot of people off guard because Niger has been an ally of the U.S. for for years, right? For decades at this point. And, um, you know, one of those countries that the U.S. Has, for the most part has had under its thumb. And, you know, Therese, I mean, even some of the generals that participated in the coup were trained by the CIA or trained by, you know, the U.S. So I think, you know, this this recent situation caught a lot of people off guard, hence I think which is there's a stalemate to an extent, right? A lot of finger waving and finger wagging and bluffs, but you know, there there hasn't been anything that's happened that has uh, deterred you know the generals that are participating in the coup. Can you tell us a little bit about why Africa features so heavily and the dealings between these imperialists? Yeah, well, Africa is still the most mineral rich, you know, area in the world. You know, just in terms of minerals such as uranium, uh, zinc, um, oil, um, you know, we've both all seen the movie Blood Diamond, right? So diamonds, gold, all of these different things are are, are found right there. Uh, and, and with the Sahel in particular, right, these areas that now kind of, you know, the Sahel is this area that's, you know, right by the Sahara, right? The Sahara kind of goes through it. And, you know, there's been a lot of oil that started, you know, found in this region as well. So, and as imperialist powers are looking for alternatives to Russian oil in particular, right? Um, but also the Middle East, uh, you know, Africa is, is right, the horizon. And, you know, I think also it's a place that, you know, imperialists and capitalists do. You, you have, when you have goods, you have the place to, to sell them. You have to have a market to sell them. Um, and a, a part of imperialism is finding markets outside of your own country, you know, your own national borders to to sell goods at. And so Africa is also that place as well, right, where 
uh, China, you know, a, a lot of times just dumps materials into Africa, you know, to kind of undercut U.S. and, and different European countries that have bullied their way into African markets for years. So, you know, that's I think, you know, Africa is a very strategic place for that reason. And, th and then, you know, um, you know, I don't I don't remember the exact number, but, you know, between Ghana and, and Ivory Coast, probably the 80 percent of cocoa, which goes on to make chocolate right comes from uh the the continent of africa west africa in particular there's a lot of countries that are you know heavy in producing uh coffee you know so you know it's it's africa in terms of mineral resources agricultural good needs is very very important well someone something about uh russia being it, it you see this more of a inter-imperialist rivalry between the United States and China and Russia, like who's, who's on the offensive now? It is very interesting. <laughs> so, I, I mean, I definitely think I can't rip on the offense in a weird way, but I definitely think the U.S. is on the defense. Yeah. So I'm still trying to figure out who's on the uh, uh, offense because i think russia you know even though russia's had a lot of expansion and, and influence in africa able to uh you know break some of the uh some of the other markets that are that are in so one thing i will say is before russia invaded ukraine i thought it was very interesting you know if we go back to that time you know the eu and a lot of other countries that are, you know, more in line with the U.S. were essentially trying to appease Russia. Um, one of the things that France did was they essentially struck a deal with Russia, right? This is literally months before Russia invaded Ukraine, a month or two before. One of the things France did was they willingly pulled out of Mali, right? They willingly pulled out of Mali, right? They had been in Mali for, I mean, obviously since they, you know, uh, colonized it. And even after they uh, gave it in, you know, Mali got independence, they were still there in terms of dominating the politics. And, you know, essentially, right before Russia invaded Ukraine, uh, France kind of pulled out of Mali and essentially was kind of said, OK, Russia, you know, so you don't invade Ukraine. <laughs> we'll let you have Mali. Right. We'll, we'll kind of let you have some of this, this influence. Yeah, this influence. And so, you know, however, you know, Russia um, still invaded Ukraine. And so I then think that meant France, you know, essentially was like, you know, that wasn't a part of the deal. <laughs> right. And, you know, obviously with the U.S. and France kind of leading in, in, in Germany, essentially as well, leading the charge on Russia and in, uh, in Europe in the situation with Ukraine. They also recent months had to double down on Russia's influence in uh, in Africa. Right. So, you know, that's also, you know, the we can't talk about Niger without talking about Sudan. Right. Like Sudan is also a flashpoint of inter-imperialist rivalry where um, there's a group that is being supported by Russia. And there's a group that is uh, the which is the I guess the actual government. Right. Which is still being supported by the U.S. So so I'll go to go back to your to your point about who who's on the offense. I think it's China. I think China is kind of sitting back and watching a lot of things. Right. They're, they're kind of letting Russia be the, the fodder to kind of see how the rest of the world is going to respond to things. So, um, you know, China has a very 
high level of influence in, on the continent of Africa, from Francophonian countries to the Anglophone countries. Uh, you know, China has come in and essentially, you know, in, in, in some countries, you know, essentially building cities, <laughs> you know, there's small little cities, other countries building, uh, building ports. And, uh, you know, one of the situations in Uganda, I think it was an airport. China had like built an airport for the Ugandan government and the Ugandan government was no longer able to pay. And China just said, okay, don't worry about it. We'll just take it back. Right. Right. <laughs> it's our airport now. We'll use it. You don't have to worry about paying us back. And so I, I would say that, you know, if there is any, anybody that's on the offense, it's definitely China. I wondered, because I, I know that it had been the U.S. and Russia and the Sudan, and then you don't hear about this anymore for a while. You know, these things are out in the air, and then they disappear. You know, you say, oh, now there's nothing going on in the Sudan, but you know damn well there is. So, and there's all this proxy stuff. Uh, I guess the editorial uh, talks about this whole belt of nation states that are, you know, across Africa. Yeah, it's, it's really increasing the uh, the inter-imperialist rivalry. It's 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 like in our face now with with these. Who's one after the other? We can't look at these things in isolated incidences. Um, you know, there's been seven coups and Sahel in the last like two, two and a half years. You know, often we're taught by the capitalist media to look at each one as a, as an isolated incident. So we're it's very circular and very we're like goldfish each time. Uh, when in reality, they're constantly you know these. In, in the Sahel, there's these constant imperialist fighting. I, I think, too, to add, you know, getting back to Niger specifically, I think it's very interesting that ECOWAS and the, the African Union have not been on the same page to this situation. I don't think we can take lightly um, the fact that ECOWAS has, even though they, they haven't done it yet, right? They haven't invaded Niger militarily yet. They threatened it, right? And ECOWAS is, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not sure all of the countries that are in it, but it's a block of, you know, African countries um, that have an agreement to defend, you know, uh, other members militarily. And I mean, the fact that they are threatening, <laughs> they've even put it on the table. I think it, you know, it means that, you know, the straw that breaks the camel's back, but the next coup will, right? And then, you know, ECOWAS, with direction from the U.S. And, and, and the European Union, you know, potentially invades, you know, a country. And then, you know, I think on the other side, uh, Mali, Burkina Faso, again, he has said they will defend Niger <laughs> if ECOWAS invades it, right? So I think it's like for a long time in Africa, there have been, when we hear about war, it's usually a civil war, right? It's usually some internal strife that's happening. And I think that we may be moving into a period in Africa where where there's going to be country or country fighting, which I think shows, you know, a, a heightened expression of inner imperialist rivalry. Sure. I wanted to add real quick that um, when you were speaking about France, it reminded me that a, a lot of Europe's increasing dependency on Russian gas for heat and et cetera 
for a long time, the U.S. empire was really based upon their control of energy, specifically oil, which has been slipping. And the, uh, there's a very expensive pipelining running through Niger, which is part of France's attempt to d- lower their dependency on Russian oil. In a lot of ways, the war in Ukraine has become the United States' opportunity to sort of break that dependency in order to get these European countries to stop sort of waffling towards Russia or allowing that gas to sort of guide their foreign policy. Um, one question I have is the, the old communist movement often made the mistake of seeing in national capitalists an opportunity to resist imperialist expansion and power. And so they, they often took the line that national capitalists were worth um, defending, worth funding, and worth supporting in general. Um, why was this a mistake? And, uh, you know, in the U.S. press, there's sort of a narrative developing that this is sort of an anti-U.S. nationalist movement. You know, why Why wouldn't we support such a thing? There is a large degree to which this is a, a proxy between inter-imperialist rivals, rivalry like you all have outlined. Um, but to the degree that it's a nationalist project, why would the PLP not be supportive of it? We are in a position of 2020 hindsight, right? Like uh, communist leaders of the old movement didn't know <laughs> that a lot of these national leaders or pan-African socialist leaders that it was going to take that role, right? Um, you know, and I think you know now we have hindsight to see that you know a lot of times those nas- those those national leaders became you know essentially their own bourgeoisie, right? And, and not even their own bu- bourgeoisie, they they capitulated and worked with the European powers that colonized them. And so, you know, I I think in terms of looking at it today, in particular, none of these leaders are saying anything that's pro, you know, one, like, you know, pro working class. They're just saying we need a, we need a a different leader, right? They just want to replace the, 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 the face of, you know, capitalism in their countries. Um, And so, yeah, you know, I, I think, you know, one history is on our side and that, you know, wherever, you know, where, where there were, you know, national movements in Africa and, and where there were even, I guess you can call them socialist movements, right, in Africa, that they resorted back, whether it be Tanzania, Tanzania, uh, which had a self-proclaimed, you know, socialist leader in Julius Nyeri. One is is now, you know, one of the poorest, you know, countries in, you know, in Africa, but, you know, it's one of the poorest countries in Africa because it's been exploited. And Julius Nyeri was a part of welcoming in that exploitation, uh, you know, capitulating to capitalism and imperialist, right? Workers are ready for socialism or communism yet. So we kind of got to work with, you know, these different bourgeoisies in, in different countries. So, um, you know, I, I, I think these national movements have always resorted back to perpetuating, you know, classism and class society, you know, and class exploitation. Many of the movements in the past, the Lombards that have been mass movements, all these coups are one military leader, uh, small groups against another. And so that's that's a, an interesting phenomenon, too, that somehow the masses of people are not so swept up in these. Now it's sort of like one group taking over another group, but it's all the minorities fighting each other. One thing I would like to add is that often nationalism begats more nationalism. It doesn't 
lead to international revolution. And if we're talking about in the 40s, a lot of people might say, oh, Hindu nationalism was a positive force in history against Brit British Empire. But we, we can clearly see that it became, you know, just a tool that was used as I Islamophobia and now, you know, to expand neoliberalism with Modi. So, I mean, it's, or if we talk about uh, Baathism, you know, a lot of people were, would say that Baathism was a positive force, but then you see, you know, the, the, the genocide against the Kurds. I mean, it's, it's really just absurd that you just have, you know, we just are starting to trade different uh, capitalists. Um, and then, you know, nowadays you have the, the Peshmerga and the Rojava both have, have a history of discriminating against the, the Syrians who uh, are also an ethnic minority. So you, you go back and forth between different, you know, marginalized groups uh, and we don't get any further towards communism. And the other thing is that it, a lot of it's seen as progressive nationalism against imperialism, but, you know, these countries become imperialist. I mean, we see that with China. We see that with, with India. Um, and, you know, a lot of even... Uh, uh, countries who you know whether we're talking about brazil or or um you know russia you know it's <laughs> yeah and that and that imperialism that develops is built on the back of exploited workers of those countries and i think that's that's an important point here is that the whoever is ruling whether it's a national bourgeoisie or an international bourgeoisie uh, imperialist bourgeoisie there the uh the workers are still going to be exploited at the point of production um and the countries are going to have to expand because of that and the very the easiest way to rule they've found is to divide and conquer, right? So they that's why they constantly find a way to make that national project into blame and scapegoat another group of workers and pit them against each other so that they can continue to rule. And I think too that to add in, in in the African context in particular, I mean you have nationalism, right? Where um and you know, I think a lot of times, you know, our line is like workers have no borders. Right. And I mean, Africa, I mean, all, every border in, in the world is, you know, a case of it. But Af Africa in particular, like imperialists literally just drew lines. Right. Like uh, there, there was a you know, when I was living there, I, I lived there for a year. And so when I was living there and so we traveled to another country. So I was living in Ivory Coast and we traveled to Ghana. And so when I got to Ghana, one of the friend I traveled with who was from Ivory Coast, we were at a birthday party and they were singing a tribal song at this birthday party. And my friend from Ivory Coast was like, wow, that's like, that's literally the same song we sing, our birthdays. Right. And I was like, well, you know, like Britain and France just drew, drew a line through your tribe. Some of you all were in Ivory Coast with the French and some of you all were in Ghana speaking English. Right. But so, I, you know, I, I think too, like to that point of like workers have no borders. You know, the imperialists literally came through and just drew lines, right? And 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 then set up different, you know, uh, nations to to fight against each other, essentially. But then also, I think Africa. There's also the the the, the sense, you know, I think uh, religion has been weaponized in Africa, right? Like there's there's so many. I mean, even initially the the the, the conflicts in Niger, Mali, and uh, the Central African Republic, um, Sudan. Right. These were like Muslim. These were pitted as Muslim versus Christian um, conflicts or wars. Right. Even in Nigeria with Boko Haram, it was like a, a Christian versus 
Islam thing. So I think, you know, the imperialists and also national bourgeoisies have figured out how to, you know, use these borders and, and things like religion um, to divide the working class. But then also in Africa, which, you know, is, and, and this is somewhat particular to Africa, you know, tribalism, right, is also, you know, a major thing in which, um, you know, if we go back to 19, what, 60, 61, uh, when Patrice Lumumba was assassinated, you know, a lot of the civil war in the Congo at that time was started because there was a group in the south in the Katanga region uh, who was a different tribe than Patrice Lumumba. And they were like, oh, his tribe has been messing with my tribe for years. You know, so I think that the bosses, the national bosses, but then also the imperialists have figured out ways to use, you know, national borders, religion and tribe tribalism, right, to uh, to turn workers against each other. Rwanda is a, another prime example, right, of uh, the Belgians using the Belgians and the British using, you know, tribalism. The people look exactly the same, <laughs> right? They look exactly the same, but you know, they were, you know, these these, you know, tribalism was used to pit people against each other and, uh, you know, create major conflicts in these regions. Workers have never benefited from that, right? Living in Chicago, like a lot of my work in Chicago is around violence prevention, right? We have a big gang problem. So a lot of times when I talk to the gangs, I say, who's benefiting from y'all shooting each other up? Y'all not been from benefiting from it. Like, your friends are dying and, you know, gentrification has happened. And both of y'all are getting pushed out. And so I think that's the same thing, you know, in the continent of Africa, you know, uh, wherever workers are, right? Yeah. Being pitted against each other. It's we, we have to ask the question, who is benefiting? And... 99.9% of the time, it's not us. 100% of the time, it's not working class people benefiting from uh, these conflicts. And so then we have to ask who is benefiting, right? And then that that gives us our enemy to fight against. But, you know, I think the call has to be for communism and getting rid of borders and, and getting rid of classes. Because as long as we have classes and money and borders, 100 years from now, we'll, have, we'll, we'll be having the same conversation. Yeah. I mean, the old adage is uh, workers of the world unite. I mean, racism, sexism, credentialism, they all divide the working class and make it harder to see exploitation for the monster that it is. Yeah, that's important. I think, you know, there's a tendency when we're here doing class struggle in the United States, we have comrades in Europe. And when we're talking to workers, it's, I think it's very important to point out that this is not something that's happening over there to people who are very different than you. These are fellow workers who, in a lot of ways, have the same material conditions that you have, and you have a lot in common with them. And this, these types of things, this fighting they are doing over resources, over labor, over markets, like you said, this is what enables your boss to control your life and take money out of your pocket. This is what enables the system that is controlling and exploiting workers in America and Europe to continue and we have to struggle against it here um and we have to support our comrades there and their struggles against it here too people homeless are divided against people who are scrambling for apartments and so there's a whole globally but in the united states the quest for profits has come down to Different, different things than it used to. Sometimes it means a coup 
uh, where one country is going to take over another through proxy. But here in the United States, it's landlords are one of the last vestiges of profits because now you're having all these high-rise coming up and more and more homelessness. So you have, again, the division that is prevalent. And I think one of our weaknesses here has been to maybe emphasize the reforms of uh, fighting for better conditions, you know, in, uh, for instance, in this place in Stephen Crane in Newark, where uh, people got uh, kind of exploded out of their homes by a gas leak. You know, the tendency is to want to focus on, on, on the narrow reform. And uh, I think we've tended to do that uh, the reform of having some these four brothers being incarcerated over and over again, going to court many times, and it's a blind alley. And so we have we have to learn from, I guess, our African neighbors that it isn't uh, one struggle versus another, but it's the system, it's the it's the capitalist system, and it's so that I can see that. We can learn from these lessons in Africa, learn from them here. It's, it's, it's the same kind of divisions that you were talking about. Well said. And I think one thing that this situation demonstrates is the grip of the imperialists is not as tight as people think. And if a gr small group of soldiers can do this, they could be communists one soldiers led by PLP uh, just as easily as they could be led by Russia or China. And the, you know there is working class participation in this, and and uh, to the degree that that's required for these things to be successful, the working class has the power. Yeah, it's it's all over Ethiopia. I, I, I we could go on and on. So it makes me see things more clearly. And that, like many of these coups, have actually been carried out by people that have been trained by America, <laughs> American. Yeah, you know, like in uh, Indonesia. That was a classic example. I mean, this is a few years ago, of course, but that was totally CIA and ended up murdering millions of Indonesian communists, you see, who thought that the former regime was more liberal and better and or, you know, had so. So, it, it yeah, it's uh, it's a lesson learned all over and over again. You're absolutely right. You're right. These uh, CIA engineered, I mean, from Allende to everything else in Central America. Okay. Uh, thank you all so much for joining me tonight. Uh, this is a very fruitful conversation. Uh, if you're interested in more content from Progressive Labor Party, check out our other podcast. Go to plp.org for more uh, articles from the newspaper. Um, we have... Uh, a presence on Twitter and Instagram at challenge, PLP challenge. Um, thank you all. Thank you. Chicago, my hometown. <laughs> okay. Oh, uh, yeah, 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 for sure. Right. Put out by PLP. Fight back wildcat. Read all about it. Get your challenge here. Challenge the communist paper. That's right, the communist paper. Fight back wildcat. Read all about it. Get your challenge here. Now all across this country. Together
advise Get together and organize Use challenge to smash the pauses Get your challenge here Challenge the communist paper That's right, the communist paper Fight that wildcat, you read all about it Get your challenge here Take heed, you Boston bankers Take heed, you parasites We will tear you into pieces Workers of the world unite We challenge the communist paper That's right, the communist paper Fight that